Um, I'm going to be going uh, into, you know, um, our message for today. Um, but one thing that I do want to um, mention, and this is as housekeeping of sorts, and I haven't um, really addressed this within our community in an explicit way from our pulpit. This is something that I've addressed in smaller private settings. Um, and I felt urgently that maybe something does need to be said from the pulpit. Um, and this is in regards to what is happening uh, in America right now, and particularly uh, with the Christian community in America. If you've been following the news right now, there is much controversy, and um, there is um, a lot that is happening surrounding, uh, you know, the previous elections that happened in November and now this upcoming presidential inauguration day that is coming up this week. And so I felt very, um, um, I felt like I did need to say something uh, regarding this because I have gotten a lot of questions um, specifically about what is happening, the charismatic movement in America right now. There is a lot of confusion, uh, confusion, confusion, uh, and a lot of mixed messages that, um, are being preached and prophesied from pulpits all over America right now. And I felt the need to address that. Um, we as a church here, New Philadelphia Church, uh, we are doctrinally, we are conservative. And so all that means, it doesn't mean politically conservative. It simply means doctrinally conservative. It means that we have a high view of scripture. But in addition to that, we also embrace the charismatic gifts of the Holy Spirit. So we are not just simply open to the Holy Spirit, not just saying like, well, if he moves, he moves, but we are open in pursuing uh, the charismatic gifts of the Holy Spirit. Our history as a church is that we've seen God do amazing, amazing things through the charismatic gifts of the Holy Spirit, and that includes speaking in tongues, that includes prophecy as well. Now, I need to make very, very clear that we as a church, although we do embrace the prophetic gifting, we also have very important guidelines and safeguards when we approach the prophetic. And so I felt like I do need to reinforce these things at this time. When it comes to the prophetic, we're very vigilant in making sure that whatever is prophesied, it lines up with scripture. And so we don't say that, um, you know, just because somebody is gifted in prophecy, um, you know, their word, when you know, when it's placed side by side with scripture, if there is a discrepancy, you know, that will give the person prophesying the benefit of doubt. That's not what we say. We always say that every prophecy, you know, needs to be weighed against scripture. And when there is, you know, uh, when there's misalignment there, scripture always wins. Scripture always has the final word. And so we're very clear on that. We do not compromise scripture when it comes to prophetic words, no matter how gifted. And this is the reason why we know that in this lifetime, and on this side of eternity, no matter how gifted someone is, we prophesy in part. Not We don't prophesy fully. We don't prophesy in perfection. Uh, we prophesy in part because we see in part. And so we are very vigilant that when there is a discrepancy, that scripture always has the final word. 
So we prophesy um, with great humility. We don't do it from a place of arrogance. We don't do it from a place where we bind people's conscience. We do it from a place of great humility, especially with a gifting like prophecy. Um, we also make sure that we distinguish very clearly what is a gift of the Spirit and what is the fruit of the Spirit. And so we dichotomize and we, we distinguish very clearly what is gifting, so the, the, the gifts of the Spirit, what is gifting and what is character, the fruit of the Spirit. Those two things aren't the same. And someone can have very high gifting, very developed gifting that does not equate very developed character. And so we do make those things very, very clear because often when we see somebody, especially from a platform, when we do see somebody who's very gifted in our hearts and in our minds, often we equate that with maturity. We equate that with character in God and those things are not the same. And so we do ask that in the same way that we pursue gifting. God has called us to pursue the gifts of the spirit, not just the prophetic gifts and not just speaking in tongues, but all the gifts of the spirit. We pursue those things wholeheartedly, but we also must be pursuing character, integrity, and those things are the fruit of the spirit, the indwelling of the Holy Spirit in us. And so gifting and character are not the same. And this is something that we need to measure as we are listening to the prophetic words that are given. And lastly, uh, this is something that we'll touch on um, in today's message, is that when we talk about faith and when we talk about you know, we are pressing in and we're contending for something that we do not see yet. We are still called to be grounded in facts and in reality. I don't want there to be a misunderstanding of what faith means. I don't want there to be a misunderstanding of how it is that we contend in faith. When we are called to pray and contend in faith, yes, there's an element of something that we do not see, and that is what we're calling forth in the place of prayer. But we do not deny reality. We do not deny facts. And this is something very important for me to reemphasize because something that we are seeing in a large part of the charismatic movement, especially in many churches across America, is this denial of facts, this denial of realities. And that is not faith. Faith acknowledges facts. Faith acknowledges reality. And then from that place, calls out for God to move. It isn't a denial and, and a divorce from reality. It is acknowledging things, seeing things with sober judgment. And from that place, making a decision to contend and ask for something in the place of prayer. So it isn't like turning a blind eye to what is actually happening. And this is something you know, that I can talk about a bit more in detail um, in our, our, our upcoming, um, even in our um, town hall meeting. But I need to make it very, very clear because faith does not 
justify a denial of facts. And this is a very, very dangerous, slippery slope for many Christians. When you start going down this path of denying what is actually happening, denying numbers, denying facts, things that are verifiable, and not just verifiable, but by one particular political party, but by both parties. Uh, that is something very important that will keep us grounded will keep us grounded. Um, I've been very hesitant to talk about this, you know, on a Sunday. Number one, because I'm very aware that I am not American. And so for me to speak into what is happening in American politics right now, into the American church right now, it is something that I don't do. Uh, I don't rush to judgment and I don't rush to speak there. Um, but, um, it's gotten to the point where I do believe that pastors and Christian leaders do have to speak up about this because there has been so much that has been happening within the, the church where it's swung in one extreme and a lot of it has been very, very unhealthy. And so I felt the need to, to say this and, and, you know, if you, would like to talk about this, you know, in, in more detail, I encourage you, you know, either email me, um, or, you know, we'll, we'll have a Q and a time at our town hall meeting next week where we can talk about this in a bit more detail, but I felt the need, like something needs to be said. Can I say this as well? Please be praying for America in the next few days, especially, um, this is not being an alarmist. This is not, you know, trying to make, you know, a mountain out of a molehill. I'm not exaggerating things here. There is very real, uh, you know, danger in things escalating to violence once again, especially in the next few days. And so we as a church need to be praying for uh, safety for protection, um, that God would really intervene in miraculous ways and that we would see, you know, the, the proceedings that need to happen in the next few days, especially leading up to the inauguration on January 20th, for there to be peace, for there to be calm, uh, even for law enforcement to be able to do its work, uh, and, you know, for there to be unity, um, and, you know, for, for things to not escalate. A lot of us have families and, uh, family and friends in America right now, and things are looking very, um, you know, dire. And so we do need to pray. This is one of those instances where we do need to pray. That's my encouragement for all of us. Please, please, please pray. Even if you're not American, I'm not American. That's okay. I am praying for America right now, and I'm praying that God would be moving. This would be an occasion for the church you know, to show faith and to show strength in the place of prayer. And, you know, with that said, I'm going to just be moving on uh, into our uh, message for today. Um, the end of 2020 for myself personally was very challenging. And the beginning of this 2021 has also been very challenging as well. 
You know, I was showing some memes, you know, a couple of weeks ago about how we feel like as soon as January 1st hits, that the year 2021, it's going to be, you know, a, a, a dramatic change from what's been going on the last year. And that's just not the case. We are still dealing with a lot of the consequences and a lot of the repercussions of things that were happening last year. And so this, this beginning of 2021, if I can be very honest, for me personally, it's been very challenging. Um, there's... Um, usually an ease for me in the place of prayer, in the place of worship, and even in reading the word. And there's usually a clarity and an ease in processing and journaling and in planning for the year ahead. But for some reason, the start of this year, 2021, has not felt like that for me, just simply to be honest. Um, it, I feel personally like um, I've been very restless. I've, I've, I haven't felt like the ease that I normally feel when I go into the place of prayer and the place of worship and the place of reading the word. Uh, it just hasn't been that easy. I almost like feel like additional resistance for something that usually doesn't require a whole lot of pressing in and pushing through. This beginning of the year has been very out of the ordinary for me in many ways. But one thing that this has encouraged me to do, you know, is to not just be okay with it. To not feel like, well, you know, this is, these are the cards that I've been dealt. This is just the way that it's going to be. And I guess the, the beginning of the year 2021 is going to be difficult for me. Um, it has been a great reminder that I cannot just be okay with what I'm given and what I'm handed, but I'm also called to press in. I'm also called to contend. And so today's message is titled, Take a Stand. Take your stand. Take your stand. This beginning of the year, for me, it isn't just about planning for what kind of year I want to have, what are the things that I want to accomplish, but also it means that from the beginning of the year, I can make a conscious decision on how I'm going to equip and prepare myself for the year. It doesn't mean that you know, that I'm going to be unhappy, that I'm going to be dissatisfied, but I'm going to know that God has given me provision and God has given me an invitation for me to take a stand. And so I'm going to be preaching from Ephesians chapter six today, Ephesians chapter six, and I'm going to be starting from verse 10 all the way to verse 18. Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 18. If you have your Bibles, um, I encourage you to open it up to Ephesians chapter 6. And for those who don't have your Bibles with you, I'm going to have slides up for you as well. So Ephesians chapter 6, starting from verse 10, it reads this way. Finally, be strong in the Lord and his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God, 
so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you have done everything, to stand. Stand firm then with a belt of truth buckled around your waist, with a breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with a readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith, with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, and pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the saints. This is the word of the Lord. Now, this is the wonderful thing about the word of God and about the gospel that we are called to believe in. The gospel reveals our desperate need for God. It doesn't make any apologies for that. It tells us that we are lost without God. We are hopeless in our fallen state. We are unable to save ourselves. It is very blunt in that regard. The gospel doesn't allow us to take any pride or any credit in what we are able to do for ourselves. But at the same time, it does not give us room for self-pity and it does not allow us to justify our faults either. The gospel very bluntly accounts for our bankrupt morality, our bankrupt souls, our bankrupt efforts. But it does not leave us in a place of hopelessness. It preaches to us that there is a hope that is greater, a strength that is greater, a peace that is greater. It gives us hope and provision for us to find victory. It gives us hope and provision to know that although we are fallen, we are not left there. But God gives us an avenue for grace and for mercy. So in the last year, many of us have gone through this season where we see more clearly than ever before that our faults, our weaknesses, our shortcomings, they are more and more on the surface and harder and harder to deny. Many of us have seen just how weak our self-discipline is this past year, and I include myself there. You know, I had this idea that, yes, COVID or no COVID, you know, quarantine or no quarantine, like I am a certain kind of person and my spirituality looks like, like, like this way. Um, and you know, my maturity and my discipline is, it is, a, it is at a certain level. And this last year was just a very rude awakening in many ways where I realized, wow, I'm not where I thought I was. 
I am not as strong as I thought I was. I'm not as disciplined as I thought as, as I thought I was. And so this last year, there was a lot of exposing what's always been there. God in his mercy, bringing it to the surface. If last year was a year where we saw what had been there all along, this new year, I believe, and I'd like you to pray into this, this new year gives us an opportunity to respond to that. Not just to acknowledge where we are, not just to see the state of our spirituality, the state of our morality, the state of our self-discipline and our restraint and our character, not just see it for what it is, but this year now to respond to it. Now, what are you going to do about it? That's what I feel like the Holy Spirit is saying to me this year. It's not enough just to acknowledge that you need God. Now God poses us with a question. Now, what are you going to do about it? You know, there's a very um, hipster term that is tossed around these days, and it's called the glow up. Is, is that right? Hipster people in the room? The glow up? No? Yeah? Sure? <laughs> yes. <laughs> so there's this term that people use, and it's called the glow, you know, like glow up. It's like, this is where you were before. And then there's a, a transformation that happens in between. And this is the result that you get after. And that's what you call a glow up, right? This, this is actually a new term for something that we've known all along. This is not something that is new in itself. Let me give you an example. You know, in these movies that we've watched growing up, there's, you know, this moment where the protagonist, we find them beaten or humiliated or, or defeated. And there's this moment of like, okay, what are they going to do about it? And there's a moment when they choose to get up they rise to the occasion and it's not an overnight transformation. Usually in movies, we see it as a montage, right? So if we're talking about Rocky, we see, you know, like he's defeated and then there's a montage where there's like upbeat kind of music and you see him training every day, getting better every day, you know, getting up early in the morning, going out for a jog. And, you know, that's the, the montage in the middle. You know, if we look at a chick flick, like Legally Blonde, for example, right? Elle Woods, you know, she is beaten, she's defeated, and there's this montage in the middle where she sets her mind to study for her law school classes, and then she gets better, and she becomes diligent, and she begins to sacrifice, and she sees herself getting better and better. In a movie like um, Iron Man, for example, Tony Stark, there's this moment where, you know, you, you hear the music coming in and he's like hammering away at a prototype of, you know, his Iron Man suit, all of that. There's this moment of glow up, this moment of transformation where the protagonist responds to a challenge. They take it on head on. They don't evade it. They don't sidestep the challenge. It's an invitation and a call to go through the challenge and to make it out on the other side as a different person. That is the glow up. That's not just something that we see in movies. That's something that we also experience in our own lives. And so here is my encouragement to you for this year, 2021. If you haven't thought through and prayed into this year, this is my encouragement to you. Could this be a year of a spiritual glow up for you? 
Could this be a year where you take on the challenge of, man, this is where my prayer life is at. I don't want to stay here. I want this year to be a year where I get stronger in this area, where I build muscle in this area, where I don't just acknowledge my shortcomings, but now I take it head on and I take this challenge to find myself in a different place by the end of this year. This could be a year of great spiritual transformation for you and for me. It depends on how we choose to respond to the challenge. How we choose to respond with the already, not yet. If you find yourself, if you see yourself in a place where you don't think you want to remain, what are you going to do about it now? This is my call to all of us. Let's encourage one another not just to stay where we are, but to grow, to mature, to be equipped, to take on this challenge and to find ourselves in a very different place by the end of the year. The passage that we just read, it opens up with, therefore, put on the full armor of God, so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground, and after you have done everything, to stand. Will you find yourself standing at the end of 2021, no matter what this year throws your way, no matter what kind of unforeseen, you know, things happen down the road. Will you find yourself standing at the end of year 2021? Will you have done everything and find yourself standing or will you find yourself defeated? more discouraged than ever before at the end of this year. Where do you want to be at the end of this year? Again, this is where the word of God is so comprehensive in uh, in its span. It doesn't just simply say, hey, we're hopeless without God, but it also gives us the resources to respond to the challenge. It just doesn't leave us room for self-pity. It doesn't leave us room for, you know, for remaining in a place of defeat. It says, yes, you're hopeless without God, but now that you have God, there is hope for you. There's a future for you. There's plans and a purpose for you. That is the beauty of being a born again believer where you don't get to stay in a place of defeat, but you get to rise up in the power of the Holy Spirit, partner with the work that he is doing in you to sanctify you and to equip you and to be able to take on challenges with the help of the Holy Spirit. And so I want to talk about this, um, this tool that God has given us in the spirit that Ephesians 6 talks about, and that is the armor of God. We're going to start with the first part of the armor. We're just going to go bit by bit through the armor of God. It first says, stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist. The belt of truth buckled around your waist. This translation, it is somewhat misleading in giving us an incomplete picture of what it means. 
The translation, it, it makes it, our understanding of what a belt is, right? It's just something that sometimes is decorative and often it just holds up your pants, basically. That's the only function that it has. But when we talk about this belt that soldiers would use back in the day, it's not a decorative item. And it's not even just to hold up your pants. It actually has many different functions that we miss out when we just simply think about it as a belt. This belt is actually more, more, um, more, Accurately translated as girdle. It is something that envelops your entire midsection, your entire mid area, and it is what holds everything else in place. It's going to have your sheath for your sword, and it's also going to keep even your breastplate in place. Everything hangs on this one item that is going to hold everything fast, everything firm around your body. It's not just, you know, something to hold up your pants again. It's something that's going to hold the rest of the armor in place. It is also something that would give you dexterity and it would allow you for movement. In a place of battle, this is essential. If the belt, if the girdle isn't put in place and it isn't, if it isn't firmly placed, if it isn't firmly fastened, then you are actually unable to move, unable to move forward, unable to defend yourself, unable to follow orders. And that happens when this girdle isn't firmly fastened around you. So this is more than just you know, something that just goes around your waist. This is something that holds everything else in place. One other thing that uh, this this verse um, is a bit misleading and in the way that it's translated is that it makes it sound very passive. It says, you know, the belt of truth is, you know, fastened around you. But actually, in the original translation, it is actually an imperative. It's a very active thing. It, it actually translates to gird your loins. That's what it means. That's the original translation. So it's not just like find that, that this is in place. It's actually make sure you do this. Make sure that this is fastened around you. Gird your loins. It's actually very active and very imperative in the way that it is said in the original language. It allows you for agility, for movement. It holds your breastplate in place. It allows you to move. It holds the sheath of your sword. It protects your vital organs. All of that just based on this one item that is fastened around you. Second thing about this, this piece of armor is that it's not, sometimes when we translate this in our minds, what does it mean to have a belt of truth fastened around your waist? It's not just the truth, which is the word of God, right? The word of God is the truth. But actually, in the original language, it doesn't have that article. It's intentionally left in a very general way in saying that it's not just referring to the word of God, but it's actually talking about truth, even in a non-Christian way, what truth means. What is truth? What is truthfulness? It's talking about that. And this is so important to re-emphasize today. 
when everybody has their own version of truth. Everybody gets, you know, to define their own reality. And the word of God doesn't allow for that. It says that there is a truth. There is the truth and that we need to be so firmly you know, uh, uh, fastened around that we need to be so grounded in this truth that everything else will remain intact because of this. This is why it's so important for us to have sober judgment as Christians, where if anybody, if anybody were to be prone to speculation or conspiracy theories, all of these things, it should be least of all Christians, because Christians have this belt of truth fastened around their waist. It is not just truth in the sense of the word. It's also about truth in the sense of fact, of reality, what's out there as well. So this is why it's so important for us to not yield to much of where contemporary, um, you know, contemporary thought leads us to where we get to define our own truth. We don't have that luxury. There is a truth and we need to be very firmly planted in that. This is also why it's so important to hold fast to the value of truthfulness that we as people aren't just grounded in truth and we're not just grounded in the truth of the word, but we also have as character truthfulness where we are known to be truthful people. This means that integrity and character, it matters immensely. The word of God doesn't allow us to bend the rules here and there. It calls us to be truthful people and everything else will be anchored. Everything else will be dependent on that piece of armor. And so this is my exhortation to all of us. We as people are called to be grounded in the truth of the word. We're called to be sober in judgment when it comes to truth, when it comes to not yielding just to whims or even to, you know, the way that things are portrayed in media. We're called to be grounded in truth. And lastly, that we're called to be truthful people, people that will not bend or compromise their character according to what would be beneficial to us in the moment. We're called to be truthful people. That is what it means to have this belt of truth fastened around our waist. Second, we talk about the breastplate of righteousness. We have the breastplate of righteousness in place. The most important thing about this breastplate of righteousness is that it's going to protect us when it comes to the attacks of the enemy. We need to be a people of righteousness. And that's the beauty of the gospel, that it endows us with the righteousness that is not birthed of our own merit, that is not earned by our own efforts, but is freely given through grace in Christ Jesus, our Lord. We're given this righteousness. And we're called to have that in place to protect us 
our most vital organs to have that in place so that no matter what the enemy brings against us and no matter what circumstances the world and what circumstances life brings against us, that righteousness does not go anywhere. That righteousness needs to be in place. Sometimes this can be an area that we compromise ourselves in, where we feel like this is something that, well, you know, we may or may not have, and this is something that we can, you know, kind of, you know, yeah, where there can be mixture in, but the, the Bible calls us to have this breastplate of righteousness in place at all times. Can I tell you, you cannot make it through 2021 with all the shakings that are going on, with all the temptations for us to compromise our integrity, with all the different things that seem to be shaking all around us, you cannot make it through this year without that breastplate of righteousness in place. Next, our feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. Our feet fitted with the readiness that call, comes from the gospel of peace. This gospel that we believe in, it's not just something that we intellectually assent to. It's not just an idea that we have up in our heads or a theological construct that we have in our head. It calls us to action. It's not just a philosophy that we have in our minds. It calls us to action. It has ramifications. It has applications. The gospel of peace calls us to act differently as people. It calls us to respond differently as people because we are people that where our feet, where our actions, where our response, our behavior, it has been forever changed by this gospel of peace. We are called to be different from the world. We're called to be different from people who do not have this gospel. People who do not know a forgiving God cannot forgive. People who do not know a loving God cannot truly love. And in the same way, people who have been forgiven much are able to love much because we've been loved first. This is the gospel of peace that we've been given as a gift. And we are called to respond From this place, from this place of knowing that the gospel has changed everything about us. It's not just a gospel that has changed the way that we think or the reality that we adhere to or the fact that we have the Bible, you know, for us to look to, to measure ourselves against. We are called to be a people who act differently, who respond differently because of this gospel. One of the incredibly discouraging things that I often find in myself is when I'm unable to be different from the world, when my response, when my words, when my actions are no different than the world. That tells me That tells me that I don't have the gospel of peace fully in me. And I 
am responding not from a place where my feet are fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. I'm reacting and I'm behaving from a very different place. And this is my prayer that the Holy Spirit would lead me to that place where my feet are fitted with this readiness that only comes from the gospel of peace. When the gospel has made its way through my heart, through my thoughts, through my reactions, through my plans, through my priorities, it has infiltrated every part of me. And now my response comes from that place where it's evident that I'm not someone who is of the world, but I am in the world called to work out, called to walk out this gospel of peace. May we be a people that respond in this way, especially with the challenges that come our way. You know that people, you know that the world isn't watching the church, mostly when things are good. The, the world is watching for the church's respond, especially when things are difficult. When things are called to question, when things are inconvenient, when things require sacrifice and cost, when it calls for integrity and character, the world is waiting to see a different response. And when they don't see that coming from the church, they have, they have every right to believe that there is no, nothing different about this gospel that the church says they believe in when our actions don't reflect that. And so this is my encouragement to all of us, especially at this time when the world is waiting to see a response, actions, words that are saturated, saturated and transformed by this gospel of peace. Could we be that? Could be, could we as a church be a witness to this gospel of peace? Next, it says, in addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Are we aware that we are under the attack of the evil one? Are we aware that there are flaming arrows that are being launched in our direction at every given moment? If we are not aware of that, then we won't realize that we actually need the shield to be in place. The shield of faith. We cannot make it without the shield of faith. Do you have the shield of faith with you to extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one? It's very evident when we are attacked. It's very evident when we are challenged and when we are tested whether we have the shield in place or not. It's going to require us to anticipate an attack from the enemy. We need to know as believers that the enemy is working overtime to steal our peace, to have us compromise in our values, to have us give in to our temptations, to have us respond in a way that is not godly, To have us yield and succumb to discouragement. The enemy is working overtime. And we need to anticipate 
that attack. We need to anticipate these attacks from the enemy that, you know, in Ephesians 6, it calls it, they're like flaming arrows of the evil one. They are targeted at you. And they're flaming arrows. They are there to cause damage. It's not a casual thing. And it's not an occasional thing either. It is targeted towards you. And if you do not have the shield of faith, you are going to see damage in your life. You're going to see your faith. I mean, your, your thoughts, you're going to see your mind. You're going to see your emotional state. You're going to see all these things being damaged. We need to take up this shield of faith with which we can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Next is take this helmet of salvation. Something that is going to go around our mind and our thoughts. Understanding that we are saved. Understanding that we have been rescued from the pit. Rescued from our sin. Rescued from our death. And now into freedom, into holiness, into righteousness and godliness and forgiveness, into victory. This changes the way that we think. This changes the way that we operate, that we plan, that we prioritize. This changes the way that we react when we start from this place of knowing that we have been saved. That this gospel that we believe in, this gospel that we assent to, it has actual repercussions. We begin to be transformed by the renewing of our mind. That this word that we read and we meditate on, it has effects on the way that we think. This is what it means to take up this helmet of salvation. Some of us, we have, you know, this breastplate of righteousness. We have our feet fitted with the gospel. We have this belt of truth around us. But our thoughts and our mind, they are completely unprotected against the attacks of the enemy. We think and we operate as if we were not saved. As if we hadn't been redeemed. As if this gospel of peace hadn't changed the way that we think. Next it says the sword of the spirit. The sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. This is the one offensive weapon we are given. The word of God. This Bible that we often take for granted. This Bible that we tend to just leave to the side until Sunday comes along. This Bible that we, we feel like when it's necessary, we will take this up. No, it says we have been given the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, the one offensive weapon we've been given. We're called to take this up and keep this on us at all times. Because we're called to be people who are not just defending ourselves against the attacks of the enemy. We've actually been called to be on the offensive. We've been called, we've been called to do damage. We've been called to take up territory from the enemy. 
We're not just called to like, oh, I hope that I make it out this year, okay? You know, try to brace myself for the attacks of the enemy. We've actually been called to take up the sword of the spirit and move forward and fight and attack. Isn't it interesting that in the word of God, there's this passage, you know, in, um, in an interaction between uh, Peter and Jesus, where Jesus says, um, um, the church will be established, that the church will be rooted in the profession that Jesus Christ is the Messiah. Jesus Christ is the Lord and the gates of hell will not prevail against this church. The gates of hell will not prevail against this church. What does it mean? What does that mean? The gates of hell. It means that there's somebody who's storming the territory and, and, and the, the dominion of hell. It doesn't mean that, you know, the, that hell is encroaching upon the church. It means that the church is encroaching against the territory of the enemy. It means that the church is storming these gates of hell. These gates will not prevail against the church. It means that the church is not called to just be on the defensive, protecting ourselves from any attack of the enemy. The church is called to be encroaching on enemy territory and the gates of hell will not prevail against this church. That is what it means to be people who've been given an offensive weapon. Not just people who are called to protect themselves, but people who are called to cause damage in the kingdom of darkness. A people who've taken up the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. And lastly, we've been called to pray in the spirit on all occasions. Pray in the spirit on all occasions. Often when we face difficulty, the first thing, that is attacked. The first thing that we put to the side is our prayer life. We are called to pray in the spirit on all occasions. Could this be a year where yes, we face a lot of shaking. Yes, we go through much testing, many trials, but where we pray in the spirit on all occasions, where we reach the end of the year and we know that we prayed it through. That this entire year was saturated in the place of prayer. That when we were in need, we ran to the place of prayer. When we needed breakthrough, we ran to the place of prayer. When we saw ourselves at reaching the end of our rope, we went to the place of prayer. When we were filled with thanksgiving, we were in the place of prayer. Could this be a year that we pray in the spirit on all occasions? So this is my exhortation to all of us. As people who have been saved, as people who have been redeemed, who have been given the living, breathing presence of the Holy Spirit alive in us, we're not just called to make it through the year. We're not just called to take it as it comes and hope for the best. We're people who've been called to equip ourselves, to gird ourselves, to clothe ourselves in the armor of God and to fight a people who've been called to encroach on enemy territory and to not just barely make it through the year, 
but actually to have advanced, to have seen God winning this year in all these different areas. This is how I want to spend my year. I want to know that this year I didn't just respond to the attacks of the enemy, but I actually prepared myself for them. That I anticipated these things and that I, even though, even in the place where I see my weaknesses and my shortcomings, that I didn't just say, well, I guess that's the way it is. I guess that's, that's the lot that I've been given. I guess that I can't do anything about where I am in the Lord or in my maturity or in my preparation. But I'm someone who actively takes up this armor and prepares myself for this year. And so there's just three different things I want to exhort us with. Very practical application. Number one, be alert. Don't let the battle catch you off guard. Don't think that you're just, it's going to be a walk in the park. Anticipate and know that the enemy is encroaching. The enemy is waiting to attack. And be alert. Be alert. It means that you need to examine your thoughts. It means that you need to examine the state of your heart. It means that you don't need to just take things as they come. But you need to be alert. Be awake. Be prepared. Second is be intentional. Don't just leave it to chance. Don't just hope for the best. Make plans. Set reminders. Make active steps. Take active steps. Be intentional. In the same way that you would be intentional about men. If this year I want to, you know, steward my physical body better, it's not just going to happen by chance. I'm going to take very practical steps, set very practical goals, set very practical safeguards. Ways that I'm going to accomplish this in this year. Do the same with your spirit. Do the same with your spiritual state. Be intentional about it. It's not going to casually happen. Let me give you an example. This past week, I just found myself really fatigued and very tired and very discouraged. And I needed to be intentional about praying over myself this armor of God. I found myself in a place where I know I don't need to be in. And so I had to be intentional I need to be intentional about reading the word and the place of prayer. I was praying before the Lord God. I feel like I'm being attacked by the enemy. I feel like I, I, I know for sure I'm not where I need to be. And so I put this belt of truth around my waist. I put this breastplate of righteousness. I put on the helmet of salvation. I take up the shield of faith. I take up the sword of the spirit. My feet fitted with the readiness that comes to the gospel of peace. I pray this over myself because I know that it doesn't happen casually. It doesn't happen accidentally. I need to be very intentional about this. So number one, be alert. Number two, be intentional. And lastly, be accountable. Be accountable. We need one another. We need help. If I've learned anything the last year, it is I cannot make it alone. I can't. 
I'm going to, I'm going to allow discouragement to win. I'm going to allow fatigue to win. I'm going to allow just my, my flesh to win. If I do not have brothers and sisters all around me, this is the beautiful thing about this passage is that something that the English translation doesn't capture is that it's the, the, the verbs in uh, the original language, they actually, it's distinct, uh, distinctively plural. These are plural verbs. And so it's, it doesn't just say, hey, you, individual, stand firm. It says, y'all stand firm. Y'all arm yourselves. Y'all put on that breastplate of righteousness. Y'all fit your feet with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. Take up the shield of faith. Take up the sword of the spirit. Pray at all times. It's talking to a collective. It's talking to a corporate body. It's a corporate exhortation with personal implications. In the last months, both because of the cumulative effects of you know, social distancing and the restrictions and also the inherent challenges of the season, I've come away with an even greater awareness of just how important the body is. I cannot make it through this year without the body of Christ. I cannot make it through without my brothers and my sisters. Even this past week, I had to pick up the phone. I had to call brothers and sisters for encouragement and for prayer. I cannot make it without my brothers and my sisters. I need encouragement. I need company. I need inspiration. I need challenge. In the same way that I need these things, I also need to offer these things up to the body of Christ. I know that I need to offer encouragement. I need to offer company. I need to offer inspiration, offer challenge. I need you and you need me. We are one body and we cannot make it through without one another. We need one another. This is a beautiful thing about this passage. It says it's not sufficient just for me to have this breastplate of righteousness and this helmet of salvation. We all need to have this. We all need to be equipped. We all need to be prepared. We all need to be alert and intentional and accountable. And this is how the kingdom of God advances. It's not sufficient that just a pastor or just an individual, you know, has these things in place. We all need it for the kingdom of God to continue to advance. We all need it. For us to make it through this year. And so I'm going to invite up, you know, Brian, as he leads us in a place of worship. I'm going to pray for all of us as we close today. I've been talking with different people in the past week. And the sense that I get, and I could be wrong, this is an overgeneralization. But a lot of people, you know, feel like, like dry or they're not connecting with the Lord or man, like something about something about things feels off and I need encouragement and I need help. So I'm going to ask us just to end today's, um, today's service with a time of prayer.
for those of us who feel unseen, who feel alone or isolated. This is what the word of the Lord says. Why do you say, O Jacob, or complain, O Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord. My cause is disregarded by my God. Do you not know? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He will not grow tired or weary, and his understanding no one can fathom. He gives strength to the weary and increases the power of the weak. Even youths grow tired and weary, and young men stumble and fall. But those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. Father, we find our encouragement, our hope, our peace, our strength in this promise that you are the God who is the creator of the ends of the earth. You are the everlasting God who does not grow tired or weary. And your understanding, your ways, no one can fathom. You are the God who gives strength to us when we feel weary. You are the God who increases the power of the weak. You don't just leave us in our place of weakness and discouragement and futility and hopelessness. You are the God who strengthens those who call upon your name. You're the God who lifts up our spirits. You're the God who lifts up our heads when we find ourselves in a place of defeat. You're a God who does not leave us in that place, but you are a God who strengthens, equips encourages, inspires, motivates his people into greater things. We thank you, God, for that promise that even when we grow tired and weary, you, your word says that we will not stumble and fall, but that as we hope in you, we will find our strength being renewed. We will soar on wings like eagles. We will run and not grow weary. We will walk and not be faint. We stand on this promise today. For those of us who are going through challenge, for those who find ourselves emotionally spent, for those of us who find ourselves in a place of confusion, we hold fast to this word. That you are the God who strengthens the weak. You are the God who strengthens the weak. God, may we fix our eyes on you. May we arm ourselves in the resources and the tools that you've given us, God. May we not find ourselves just at the mercy of the enemy or at the mercy of our circumstances. May we be a people who arm ourselves, who equip and clothe ourselves in this belt of truth, this breastplate of righteousness, this helmet of salvation, these feet that are fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel, this shield of faith and the sword of your word, a people that have been called to fight the good fight 
and to run the race to be encouraged and strengthened in this journey and to know that you are the God you are the God who is sufficient the God who is enough the God who is with us even right now We thank you, Father, for your truth today. We ask, God, that we would find ourselves ourselves encouraged and strengthened in this truth. And may we be a church. May we be a people. May we be a company of people who storm the gates of hell. A people who advance the kingdom of God who push back against the darkness a people that have been that have been saved from death and into your marvelous light may this be our story and our testimony may this be the witness and the story of this church we love you god we pray all these things in jesus name